Change happens in an instant. The minute that we meet Jesus and we seek out forgiveness, change happens just like that. I worked at a security company. Most of us know that. Uh, Before I started teaching, I worked at a security company for about five years. Uh, Met a lot of good people. And I worked with people from all different backgrounds and all... um, you know, just different upbringings and lots of unique perspectives on life. And for those of you who don't know, the job I worked was in a secure facility. And so we had no windows to the outside world. We were in this room that was in the interior of the building and it was on lockdown 24-7. You had to have a special badge to get in and out. So not anybody could just come in there. And so you're stuck in this room with people at times 12 hours a day, uh, five days a week. And you get to learn a lot about them, right? Conversations just naturally happen because you're with these people all the time. And literally, when I say there's no view of the outside world, there's nothing. It's a little bit like prison, but at least you got paid better for it. Um, and so I worked with Christians and I worked with non-Christians and uh, I didn't then, and I still don't now, advertise that I'm a pastor. And the reason I do that is because the minute people find out, they treat you completely different. The minute they find out you're a pastor, they just view you in a whole nother lens. And so there's usually typically two reactions. People either go radio silent on me. Oh, you're a pastor? Better not say anything, right? And they kind of shut down and they withdraw and they they don't want to have anything to do with me anymore. Not necessarily negatively. They just want to stay in the right, I guess. They don't want to like offend or it's just kind of this weird dynamic. Or they challenge me. I get that a lot too. They challenge me. How could you believe that? Why do you think this? Blah, blah, blah. And they'll, and they'll go into it. And so one day we're in the response center and we're all locked in there. And um, I know I've told this story before, but we got on the subject of Christianity and just forgiveness in general. And at one point, I'm kind of keeping myself just listening, uh, taking it all in, kind of digesting. And with the sarcasm laid on pretty thick, a coworker looks right at me and says, well, all you have to do is say sorry, Right. Now, she meant it as an insult, right? Like, we as Christians think we can do whatever we want and just say sorry, and it makes everything better. She meant it as an insult. And I took it that way, and it stung. I'll I'll be really honest. She's somebody that, even to this day, I still consider a a really good friend. Uh, We just believe very differently, and we've come to uh, grips. That's it. Grips with that. I was going to say grasp with that. It didn't sound right. But we, we've come to grips with that. We understand. We just think differently about life. And she knows where I stand and I know where she stands. And we still find a way to love and respect each other. Um, but it, it stung. And so I remember that in that instant, I kind of just shut down. I wasn't really participating in the conversation, but I definitely wasn't going to now. And I, I remember getting a, a tad bit angry. Uh, But it took some time, and after thinking about it for a while, it dawned on me that she fundamentally misunderstood forgiveness and what it is that Christ can do for us as individuals. And so my anger shifted away from her and more to myself because I kind of felt like, well, clearly I hadn't been showing her who Christ was, right? And so I had this opportunity to kind of talk to her about that, and I let it pass by me. And so uh, think about that, but, but I also started thinking about the process. And yes, while it is a little more in depth than just saying sorry, the magnificent thing about Jesus is it's a pretty simplified process, right? We, we classify it into three steps. The old admit, believe, confess. You admit that Christ is Lord. You believe that he can save you and you confess your sins. You say sorry, right? And when we do those three things, then change occurs. And what I need us all to understand is that change occurs just like that. You ever been around a newly saved person and see the fire inside of them and how excited they are about life and their new Christian journey and and the direction that they're heading? 
See, a lot of times the reason that that stuff fades is because, not because that instant change didn't occur, but it's just because they didn't cultivate it. And we as a church, as big, big church, we need to do a better job of welcoming new Christians in and, and making sure that, you know, they're learning the things that they need to learn to sustain that lasting relationship with Jesus. But a, a lot of times the reason that that fire burns out is because they're not doing the things necessary to cultivate that relationship, right? You can plant a seed in any garden, but if you never water it, you don't take care of it, you don't de-weed that garden, you don't maintain it, what's going to happen? Eventually that plant is going to die out one way or another, right? If you don't take care of the seeds that you plant, they pass away. And so that honestly is kind of what happens. But this change that happens inside of us, it happens in a moment just like that. And the best example, the best visual that I can give, if you look at different stories, and I'm not going to read through it, but Matthew 9, 1 through 8, if you want to take a look at it now or just take a look at it sometime, the best visual representation we can give is Jesus healing people, right? And in that specific story, in Matthew 9, 1 through 8, he comes across a crippled man and he tells him, son, your sins are forgiven, now get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven, now get up and walk. And the minute he says that, the man can walk. Change happened just like that. The minute that Jesus forgives our sins, we are a whole new being. The minute that Jesus says, hey, your past no longer defines you, we are this new creation. And it's one of these really magnificent things about Christianity that we have to really come to grasp with and understand that change can happen for us in an instant. That specific instance, it changes everything for us. I think we all, for the most part, have that moment in time where we can look back on and say, that's kind of when it happened. And now listen, I'm not saying that necessarily we look at something that was like, I remember the exact second and that exact second it took place. But we have that, that moment of time where we realized I've been saved. We have that moment in time where we realize that Christ is my savior. And in that time, it changes everything. Our instant, our moment is a story that we have to tell. Now, we look at Paul in his moment, it's so pronounced, right? Like Jesus literally stops him in his tracks. And, and we talk about this moment that it changed, but even he went, he was led away. And for three or four days, he's, it tells us he's not eating, he's not drinking, he's blinded. Three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. And so in this instant, it started to change, but over the days, it's coming to fruition, right? And Paul's instance, it's so pronounced that we look at it and we say, well, that's obvious, that's obvious. And, and maybe you think to yourself, mine just doesn't measure up. Like I can think back to the time when it dawned on me that I needed Jesus. And I can think back to the time where it dawned on me that I should ask for forgiveness. And I did that. And, and, and I can think of all these, these, these times or, or, or that, like that story, right? That story stands out to a lot of us. I, I can remember that. When we compare it to a story like Paul and we say, it's just not the same. But the fact of the matter is that your instance, your moment, that period of time is so important. It's so important and it's powerful and it's inspiring and we should use that. Your moment may not seem to measure up, but I can promise you that it is no less significant than Paul's. What happened to you is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Second thing that I, I like from this passage and the thing that not just I like, but the thing that I think that Jesus wants us to see is that at a certain point, we all have to be blinded to our past. We talked about last week how our past is inevitable, right? And how we can use that past to bring about good or bad. 
right? We can dwell on it and it can ensnare us and it can imprison us and it can be the thing that we think about constantly or we can use it as life lessons and use that to reach others and use that to learn from. Well, at a certain point, we have to become blinded to that past. We have to strive forward to, to the new life that is available to us, right? And so there comes a time where we just have to say, hey, this past, it's not going to define me. It was a part of me. I learned from it. I'm better because of it, but I am a whole new creation. And so now I'm not going to look back at it any longer. And so Paul has this meeting and, and unfortunately we, we learn this lesson at Paul's expense, but it's one of the most beautiful representations of conversion that can be around. Paul meets Jesus and he's blinded. I think it's both symbolic in the fact that Paul had to be blinded to his past in order to obtain his future in Christ because of just how far on the other side of it that he was. But it's also necessary, right, for Paul to, to have time to contemplate where he was to where he would be going and what he would be doing next. He needed that time to just kind of not have anything else but that time to reflect on, on this change that has occurred in him and, and on this new calling that Jesus has placed in his life. We, like Paul, have to be blinded to what we once were. The power in your conversion, I want you to hear this, the power in your conversion isn't what you were before Christ, okay? That, that is a good story. But the power in your conversion isn't what you were before Christ. It's what you have become once you have been introduced to Christ. Once you have had that chance to meet Christ, what you become on the rest of your life's journey is where the power in your story lies. I was this, but now look. If you could only see just how far I've come you would know how real this Jesus is. I think a lot of times we focus so heavily on the past that we forget about that brand new future, right? And, and the past becomes the story, but it's the future, it's the now that is the important thing for us and the important thing for other people to be introduced to. In that moment where forgiveness and newness are gifted to us by Christ, we are made 100% new. What you are now is because of Christ, right? What you are now because of Christ, that's where the power is. That's where the power in the story is. What you are now because of Christ is where your inspiration is. What you are now because of Christ is the story that needs to be told. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And this is again, God talking to the Israelites, just, just talking about this new change that will come about in them. It's the same promise that's been given to us that when we come across Christ, this darkness that's in our life, this wilderness, which was often used for the description of being lost apart from Christ, being in this place where there was just no way out. He, he creates life in that past and he actually takes that past and makes it new. He takes the wilderness and he makes it habitable, right? We can now live in what we were because of who God is and who Christ is. The third thing I want you to understand is this, that we have to use our instant to inspire others. Use your instant, use your moment, that time where Christ came in to change you, 
to tell your story. Use that time to reach out to people and show them exactly what it is that Christ can do for a person's life and the difference that he can make. Isaiah 63, 7. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. Guys, we are on this earth to be representations of Christ, but not just representations of Christ, but what Christ can do in life for a person, right? And we should be using our gifts and our talents and our abilities to shout that from the mountaintops right? I'm not talking about being the guy downtown with the loudspeaker and the sign that says turn or burn. That's not the point that we're trying to get to. But we need to share with others, I have been loved so deeply by Christ that he completely changed who I am. My desires, my focus, the way I think, the way I act, right? And it's completely just renewed everything about me. We'll talk about this later, but we learn later on about Paul that he had a thorn in his side, right? He talks about that. I've had this thorn in my side. I've asked for it to be removed over and over, and it, it just, it's always there. And a lot of theologians will tell you he's just talking about this ongoing struggle that he had, whether physical or with sin or whatever it is, but we all have something we can relate to that, right? And so this sin struggle, it, to overcome it, to become exactly what we're supposed to be, it's a process that, that doesn't come to fullness until we die, and are raised completely new creations through what Christ has done. But if you could have only seen what we were to what we are now, you would see the power of Christ. Your story is worth telling. It will inspire others when you tell it. See, because only you truly know how magnificent it is. Not something I'm going to read, but if you want to hear Paul tell his, his story, Acts 22, 6 through 21. Mark that down. You can look at it. Acts 6 or Acts 22, verses 6 through 21, Paul tells his testimony. I thought I'd end quickly by telling you guys mine, because I know I've mentioned it here and there, but have some new faces, maybe have people that haven't heard it. So I grew up in church, right? My, pa- my, my grandfather was a pastor for 60 some odd years, and I will be frank, one of the best ones that I've ever been around. And I'm not just saying that because he's my grandpa. I'm sure that maybe has a little thing to do with it, but you can ask people that, that were in his congregation, literally, one of the best, I will tell you from a personal standpoint, one of the best men that you will ever have the chance to meet in your entire life. He showed me every single day, sorry, he showed me every single day who God was, right? But even having that example, I still kind of pushed away from the church. There's a lot of stuff that I could not believe. I'm a highly uh, logical thinker at, at times, right? Things are very black and white for me. Either this is real or it's not. And so I hear these different stories that you tell through the Bible with Moses and the staff and the sea parting and Jesus walking on water. And I see all these things and I think, I can't walk on water. I float pretty well, but like I've never met anybody who can walk on water and I've never seen a sea part and I've never seen animals two by two walk up to a boat and try to get in to survive a flood. Like there's so many of these crazy things in the Bible that you hear and you just say, what? Like, how can anybody believe that? And I'll be real honest. I was in that group for a really long time. Even with who my grandfather was, I just fought against it. And so as I'm getting older, uh, I start to realize that I'm not a Christian and and I I, I figure out, man, I've got to figure this out once and for all. Like the fact of who my grandfather was and what he meant to me in my life was the only thing that kept me hanging on to the possibility that Christ could be real. And so just simply out of respect for him, I decided I've got to really do some deep dive into who this Christ is and if this stuff is really real. 
So I did that. And, and, and I started to take the time to study and, and read the Bible and look at different people in my life and, and see about different situations and started to pray a little bit, even though I wasn't real comfortable with it. And believe it or not, I came to the realization that Christ was indeed real. That based on what I had seen in my life and what Christ had done for the people around me and just certain things in the world that I can explain in no other way, I came to the realization that I believed Christ to be very real. And so I asked Christ to come into my heart at the age of 15. And I went through the admit and I went through the believe and I went through the confess at 15. But it was one of those things where the seed was planted. I didn't really do anything after that to cultivate it, right? I thought, hey, I'm a Christian now. Everything else will take care of itself. What I wasn't expecting is that God would call me to a higher purpose at that age. I felt the call to ministry very early on, but it was one thing I did not want because when you're in a pastor's family and anybody who's in a pastor's family can tell you this, you see the really ugly side of church. It becomes really easy to become disenfranchised with church because of all the nastiness and the backbiting that oftentimes happens behind closed doors, so to speak. And so that was the one thing I didn't want. I didn't want it for my family. I didn't want it for myself. Like I wanted to be saved and I understood who Christ was, but I just didn't want that aspect of it. And so at 15, I I received Christ, but didn't do enough to cultivate exactly what that seed uh, was planted for. And then Christ is placing this call in my life and I don't want it. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to Jonah this bad boy. Maybe it didn't work for him, but I bet I can do it. I'm going to become as bad and as gross and disgusting as I possibly can be. And Jesus will not want me to serve at all. And so I just started being like fleshy, flesh, 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 okay? Alcohol, drugs, sex, like anything I can do to bring pleasure and have fun here on this time on earth, I was going to do it. I'm going to make myself to be to a place where God will say, no, none of that. And so I'm doing this stuff and not as, um, it's bad regardless. One, I was too young to be doing a lot of it and two, just shouldn't be doing it. But I was doing this stuff, but not too super crazy degree, but I was drinking when I definitely shouldn't have been and going to parties and just doing things that were not Christ-like at all. And so uh, I come to this time, I'm 18, I'm, I get really big into football and I was pretty decent at football. My senior year, everything was finally starting to click. My body was right. Uh, I, I was like uh, same height, 6'1". I weighed 310 pounds and I ran a 4'9", 740 my senior year. I was a pretty decent athlete. And everything was clicking, and I was strong, and I lifted heavy weights, and everything was great, and I was so focused on that, and it was just that, and that became my identity, and I'm going to be so good at everything, right? I can't wait. I'm going to go play in college, and I'm going to get to the NFL, and I would have played somewhere in college. I would have never made it to the NFL, okay, because it takes a whole lot more, uh, like not being a knucklehead and being dedicated to it to do stuff like that. But I would have played somewhere in college, and that's where my identity was. So my senior year, I'm getting ready for the season, and uh, about a month before our first game, I'm in the middle of practice, and this weird thing happens on the football field, and like happens on the football field, so oftentimes I get injured. I break my L4, L5 vertebrae at the base of my spine. They're cracked clean in half. I felt this weird pop. My legs got tingly for a little bit, but I sat out for about 15, 20 minutes, and everything kind of came back, and I thought I was fine. Didn't go to the doctor, didn't say much about it, continued to play for the rest of that month. About two days before our first game, I stand up out of bed to get ready in the morning and I just fall to the ground. My legs gave out, couldn't do anything. So you have to go to the doctor. They say, hey, you, you cracked these vertebrae clean in half and they're really like, we don't really know how you're walking right now. God thing, by the way. We don't really know how you're walking right now. They're, they've healed, but they've healed kind of wonky and they're not real straight. So you're at least gonna have to see a chiropractor get those things straightened out. But football just was taken out of the cards. 
Now, I had wrapped my identity so much in that, that's who I was, that I became depressed, okay? I became depressed. I was already drinking, I was already partying, I was already having sex and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, and so I kind of ramped that up a little bit because just trying to feel good. I just wanted to feel good. I got super depressed. On top of that, I started, I was given painkillers, right, to deal with that injury, and so now I've got this painkillers on top of the booze, on top of the sex, on top of that. I'm just focusing on doing me and having fun and not worrying about anything else. And I became an addict. I became an addict. I was taking at one point six to seven hydrocodone every day. And I had different prescriptions from different doctors because there was a switch. And so I had like, I'm telling you guys, I, it was this perfect storm of Satan being like, you want to do this? I'll, I'll help you. Right? taking 67 hydrocodone every day, sneaking vodka in a uh, come-and-go cup to school and drinking it throughout the day and, and just trying to send my life down the drain. People that knew me my senior year will tell you I was unhappy and I had a goal in mind to make everybody else around me as unhappy as I was. So in my senior year, I know I'm going long and I'm trying to fix, uh, hurry up and I'm sorry. Senior year of high school, uh, I'm, just, I'm just getting through it. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm just going to get done with school and be over it and, and go do my own thing and whatever. And so I have, my sister's my youth pastor at the time. My grandpa's the pastor and she's taking a group of us to church camp and she says, hey, you're going to church camp. And I said, like, I'm not going to church camp. I don't, no way I'm going to church camp. You want me to spend a week around all these little, no, don't want it right? Sorry, you're going. I paid for you. All right, I'm going. Mom, I don't want to do this. You're going. Just do it for me. If you do anything else for me, just do this for me. Okay, mom, I'll go. So we go to this church camp, and it's one of these camps where uh, they ask for you to bring a, a, a leader from your youth group, like an adult leader, but also pick your uh, most spiritually sound student to help with this leader teach small group throughout that week. My sister picks me. By the way, my sister, really in tune with everything I was doing, knew about most of it, right? She picks me. Felt like God was saying, hey, you got to pick him. So she picks me. And I'm like, nope, don't want to do it. Not going to do it. No way. My grandpa talks to me. I really need you to do this. Crap. Okay, Pop, I'll do it. So I agree to do it. So now I'm in this thing, and, and I'm trying every which way to get out of this. I can't do it for this, this, that reason, everything else. So, uh, like three nights before we're supposed to leave, we have project graduation. It's a little celebration they do after you graduate and everybody gets together and plays a game. I'm playing basketball. I roll my ankle. Now, when a 300-pound kid rolls his ankle, he rolls his ankle. I tore all the ligaments off of the bone. Like they detached from the bone. I didn't tear the ligaments, but they just pulled off the bone. Okay? So they put me in this, this cast, and this is like, hey, there's like three miles of walking daily at this camp. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I can't do it. Look at my ankle. So I, I call my sister, hey, I can't do it, uh, roll my ankle, sorry, sorry, uh, no ligaments, the jelly, not doing crutches, too fat, right? So she calls me the next day, hey, big guy, what? I called the camp, and they've got you a golf cart. <laughs> Wonderful, right? So then I have this golf cart, and I'm driving uh, to drive me around all weekend, so I just don't have an out anymore. Okay, I'm going, fine, I'm going. So I go, and and... I get driven around all week, and you know what? For the first time in my life, when I went to a church camp, I couldn't play basketball, couldn't swim, couldn't do all the rec, couldn't do anything else. My one fun thing was worship. I at least like music. Even if I didn't think the words were great, I, I, you know, I'm good with music. 
So I go to this worship, and they have this guy named Thomas Young who's preaching. He's a preacher from Texas, and he tells this past story. I'm like, oh, me and this guy, we could be buddies, right? And Christ speaks to me in that week in a way that grabs me and tells me, hey, son, regardless of what you think you're going to do, your worth to me is no less by you being stupid. Probably said it nicer, but that's how I was hearing it. And you have to live for me. And so I'm going through this week and I'm hearing this message and I'm teaching this small group. And for the first time in so long, I have life. I just feel life pulsing through my veins. I smiled for the first time in about a year. And my sister recognized it. Hey, do you realize that you just smiled? Shut up. It's not going to happen again. And I realized that my importance wasn't in the things that I could do, but what Christ had made me, right? Not in the things that I could do or how I could impress different people with whatever. It was how Christ had made me and loved me enough to send Jesus down to bring about forgiveness in my sins. And so... I went through withdrawal that week at camp. And I'll be honest, I have read all about withdrawal because I felt like it shouldn't have been that easy, but I had some pills in my bag that I was going to take Monday or Tuesday night, second night, I'm starting to feel this. And I just like, I got to get rid of these things. Like for a number of reasons, I I was nervous that I was going to get caught and everything else. And I dump them down the toilet and they're gone. Right. I definitely don't have any alcohol at church camp, but I I wasn't stupid enough to bring that. I don't want to my sister to kill me because she would. Um, so I, I don't have any of this stuff. So like I have worship and I can't do the rest of the things. You know what I did the rest of the time I was at camp? Pretty much I slept. I slept for 10, 12 hours a day. Can't do that stuff. Guys, I'm going to go take a nap. Literally, I slept my way out of a drug and alcohol addiction. And I know that doesn't happen but I'm telling you that Christ is real because that's why it happened. I can think back to specific instances where I should have been dead, like literal dead, like took nine hydrocodones and drink, drink, (laughs) it had some effect, drank 20 beers and passed out and thought I'm not going to wake up in the morning. Then I woke up in the morning mad that I woke up. There, I should not be here. I should not be here. I, like Paul, persecuted the church. I made a mockery of everything that it was to be a Christian. I looked at Christians who were living Christ-like lives and told them that they were stupid and wrong and liars. But Christ came in and he changed everything. And today, my life is a life that I was never going to have. Ever. Because I wasn't supposed to be here. But I have a great job and a beautiful wife and a wonderful family and great kids. And I'm blessed beyond measure. And I can look at specific instance after specific instance and tell you 
how Jesus has worked. My story has done nothing but get a million times better. And I'm not saying that bad things will not happen to me in my life going forward. But I know that regardless of if that's the case, I've been blessed with a life that I never should have had in the first place because I tried to take it away. But God, but God, it's all that I can say. And I'm not going to because I'm 11 minutes over, but I could literally talk for four hours about how wonderful God has been in my life and go through that list of time after time after time after time of how he's blessed me. And if you ever want to have that conversation, want to get coffee, we can do that because we'll need a few hours. I've only been alive 29 years. And I don't know that I could count everything that God has done. Tell me that you think that God isn't real and I'll just tell you that you haven't met him yet. My story may seem crazy, but I'll tell you this. Your story is equally as wonderful. It may not have as many twists and turns. It may not have as many up and downs. You may have one of those boring testimonies of I grew up in church and found God at an early age and have been plugging away ever since. And that is beautiful and it is wonderful and it should be told. You may have a story that's a lot closer to Paul's than even mine. And that story is wonderful and beautiful and it should be told. Because when we meet Christ, we are a whole new us. And the world needs to know that that is available to them. We're not perfect. We don't do everything right every day. But from where we were to what we are now, holy Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I, I hope that people understand that their story that they have to offer, the, the things that they can tell are powerful and important. And God, they should use those to their story, their instance, their moment, their blessings time after time to share who you are and how powerful you can be and the, the difference that you can make in a person's life. We all have a past. That is inevitable. We talked about that last week. But as you so clearly have shown us this week, our, our, our past really does not have to be our present. We become a whole new being, a whole new creation. And we owe that all to you. God, may we always see the importance of telling our story, of sharing what it is that God has done for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.